Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. Happy New Year to you, First Gen Hunter podcast listeners. It's been a few weeks since I've gotten a podcast up. It's about time to do so. And uh, this is a great one to kick things off because uh, it's an interesting story with Hunter McWaters from The Hunter's Quest, which is becoming a really cool uh, media outlet, hunting media outlet to be following with. Um, definitely a great podcast we'll talk about that on here but also um, hunter is even since we recorded this which i should say this we recorded this back in september Um, i got kind of ahead of myself with uh, recording a bunch of episodes back then and uh, you know of course had to uh, fit in the uh, 100th episode in there i did a pheasant uh, episode for the kickoff of pheasant season and then um, the Christmas special so there's a few episodes that kind of uh, got reorganized and uh, put into a different place and that kind of ended up uh, setting this episode back a little bit further but really I feel like it's the perfect episode to kick off 2023 because it's a story of change it's a story of uh, um, uh making things better for oneself uh just a really inspiring story that hunter tells and we get into all sorts of crazy uh, topics in this one it's a conversation that goes uh, far beyond just talking hunting but of course we'll talk about some of that as well well i hope you've gotten a good start to your 2023 i know i sure have um i hope you're following me on instagram or facebook uh if you are, you will have seen some really cool things that uh, I've been able to do with my job at Hoxie Native Seeds. Um, just recently, I was uh, in Illinois and uh, we interviewed a few guys, I should say three guys, uh, that have found some really incredible, uh, boy, how do you say it? I guess. Uh, Ice Age relics, uh, pre-settlement relics from the state of Illinois, Um, stag moose sheds, uh, elk sheds, a ground sloth skull. I mean, just all sorts of crazy, crazy things. And you can see all that on my Instagram. It's pretty interesting stuff. Um, But enough of that rambling right now let's go ahead and jump into this one right after i remind you that as you go into 2023 consider having spartan forge in your back pocket i know we're far away from deer season now if your state is like mine here in iowa hunting season is over but it's never too early to start planning and uh really here in the next couple months is probably the best time to be putting stands up so you can beat the heat you can also look at some of that recent sign uh from what the deer were doing at the end of the of this past deer season and uh, spartan forge would be a great thing 
to have in your pocket to help you with the mapping, help you with marking where your stands are, where your cameras are at, and uh, maybe even uh, you could use some of that deer behavior uh, uh, prediction app and data to help you uh, plan as well. All right, let's go ahead and roll into it here. Episode number 104 on the First Gen Hunter podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. One of the perks of my new job is I get to uh, be listening to content all day long. And uh, it's it's kind of interesting. I, I try to be super disciplined in different areas of my life. Like I'll, I'll look at it, an aspect of my life and be like, you know, Kent, you really could like tighten things up there a little bit. And you'd probably see X, Y, and Z is the fruit of doing so. And uh, so I like try to be really disciplined and listen to content that, you know, is going to better me. And for the most part, I think I do a pretty good job, but I can't get past the fact that my interests shift and I get, I really think that I probably have some level of undiagnosed ADHD. I've just always like, my mind's just always kind of jumping all over yeah. the place and, and, uh, and all that. But, um, I started out, I listened to the book, and if you haven't checked this book out yet, so I'm talking to our guests, who I'm going to introduce you in a second, but also you listeners, the book yeah. 1491, um, phenomenal book by uh, Charles Mann, I believe is the author, and he just talks about um, the Americas pre-European settlement and expansion, you know, those first explorers coming, and uh, it's fascinating. Well, that piqued my interest. And so then I went and I had heard about this book about Cabeza de Vaca, a conquistador who uh, uh, was in North America, um, pre-settlement and uh, just document. In fact, the title of the book was A Land So Strange, which, you know, just sounds wild to us hunters, right? Guys who love all everything about ecology, everything about, you know, what's going on and with habitat at that time. Now we're in this highly modified landscape filled with invasive species and everything else. What was the country like before that? Right. And so Cabeza de Vaca gives us a little idea. Well, that further piqued my interest. And then I listened to a book on Hernan Cortez. Cause I, you know, everyone's just like, it's kind of like a Armstrong general Armstrong Custer, right. Where everyone's like, yeah, I made a bad idea. Dude was an idiot. Got, you know, paid, the, paid the price for it. Right. It's, it's slaughtered in the battlefield, but there's so much more that goes into these stories than what meets the eye. And so that's why I wanted to read on Cortez. You know, it's like everyone writes out, Oh, Cortez, one of the worst people in history, you know, totally uh, ruined all these civilizations, brought all these problems, brought us uh, pigs, right? We are, are like most the scourge of invasive species in North America, you know, all the, <laughs> like he gets blamed for all that. So I wanted to find out. So I was on this great track. I was listening to all this stuff. All these stories are overlapping. I don't know if you guys have ever um, had that experience when you're like researching something really hard and you start seeing like, Oh wow! I listened to an interview of, with that person talking, and here they're being referenced in this book that I'm reading by a totally different author. And you get like these over, this these overlaying resources, I guess is what you'd say it, and you really start to realize you're you're 
getting a deeper understanding. So I was having all that going. And then I got my next book. So book four here, right? And this was about Francisco Pizarro, the guy who, so Cortez, he, he's for just to sum it all up, conquered the Aztecs. Pizarro conquered the Incas. So he was like deeper in the, into Southern South America than what Cortez would have been. And, and, uh, I just kind of ran out of steam. <laughs> My discipline, I was like, dude, I could be like a PhD level, you know, researcher here on on what went on in South American, uh, you know, affairs, right. European affairs. And uh, I just like lost steam like one day into listening about Francisco Pizarro. And maybe I'll pick it back up. But in this, I'm still in this wave of losing steam. And in doing so, I started listening to podcasts like crazy, hunting podcasts. And part of it is, I mean... Hunter, maybe you uh, get the same deal. It's like every fall, there's some kind of trigger. I made a post on Instagram like a week ago about this. There's some kind of thing that gets like, that just triggers me back into like hunting season mode. Um, Like, I don't, I don't even know what it is every time. It's different. You know, sometimes like, oh, it's October. You know, other times it's, wow, I just saw an awesome buck or I'm out shooting my bow. And anyways, that trigger got flipped. And so I'm just consuming hunting content like crazy. And uh, I got linked up with Hunter's podcast. And as I was listening, I was, and I'm, of course, you know, Hunter, you can relate to this. I'm sure whenever you listen to some new content out there, you're like, oh, I wonder if this guy would be a good guy to talk to at some point. And Mm -hmm. I instantly got that from Hunter. I was like, man, he's asking some really good questions here this is a really thoughtful dude. And it just like kept getting better and better. And then when I saw how your, your guests reciprocated that, you know, they were picking up on the same thing I was too. This guy's got some interesting insight here. I want to talk more to this guy. How do I, how do I get to know him better? And so, uh, that's what led us to this moment here. I was like, I think it was that day I got home or it was the day after. And I, I, uh, found Hunter on Instagram. I was like, dude, any chance you'd be interested in doing a podcast? I love your show. And yeah. uh, we're going to get into some of those other aspects that kind of like make that a multi-layered thing. That's, I guess that's the key word today, layer. But uh, the the there's all kinds of aspects of Hunter's show that I really like. But before that, the first episode I was listening to, Hunter, was an interview you did with uh, Donnie Vincent. You know, the, the great Donnie Vincent. And you talked about the fact that you had gotten into the music scene for quite a while. Mm-hmm. And I am like yeah. a, I'm, I'm a guy. The only thing I can play is the radio. I am not, I'm not, I, my parents tried to force me to play the trumpet in junior high and yeah. high school. And it was terrible, man. It was, it was, it was bad. I was second to last chair. And uh, the kid that was last chair was, you know, it said something about me. We'll just put it that way. The, the, <laughs> So it didn't, my music career didn't work out, but I love listening to music. I love listening to good music. And, uh, so that fascinated me when he said, so what kind of, what kind of music did you do, man? Yeah. So thanks. First of all, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. I'm glad we connected. Um, for sure. So I started playing drums when I was probably about like eight years old. And wow. um, I'm really glad that I did because drums are pretty hard to pick up when you're older. Mm. Um, and I did I did a whole like you know band school band stuff. Um, 
and uh, nothing wrong with like trumpet, but that's like one of those things where it's like, okay, you can do band in school, but like, when are you going to use trumpet other than like an orchestra? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. But you know, if you're playing guitar or even piano, actually, it's huge bass or yeah. drums. Like, there's more application for it, I guess. So I'm glad that I got into that, and um, and then it's just, I just loved it. Like, I would. Um, how I got really good was I would just music I liked listening to. I would just go in and put in headphones on and put some like noise canceling ear things all over top and just play with the music. And oh, I would just do that awesome. for hours. Yeah. And, um, and I didn't know it, but that was like, because all those albums are all recorded with like a click track and like perfectly in time and stuff. So that was like just ingraining like, um, being able to play like perfectly in time, um, into my brain. But, um, yeah. And then, you know, in college, um, I got into, I got into a band and like, honestly, I learned more about like (laughs) music and bands and like partying in college. And I probably actually learned like in my classes, but, um, we, we actually like, uh, we got like voted the best local band in town and we traveled all the, yeah, we traveled to all the, you know, colleges like in the state. We did a couple out of state shows too, but um got really into that. Had a great time with it. Um and then when I got out of school, well, actually to back up a little bit, I started playing the worship team at my church when I was about 14. Okay. And that was another um big thing that really got me um because also playing with headphones is also different from playing with a band and with other musicians. Mm-hmm. You got to kind of learn to feed off them and kind of know when things are coming. So that was also big. Um, I mean, I was playing, I remember being playing in my church was a pretty big church, um, with a worship team full of people like in their forties and fifties, you know, like grown people. And I was like 15 years old playing the drums. That's awesome. And, uh, man, I learned, yeah, I learned a lot from that. That was really fun. Still like, um, you know, even, to this day really playing uh, in worship teams that's kind of how i keep going um but um but yeah man then you know after college i thought maybe i would pursue it professionally uh, i lived in nashville for a time um you know was gonna move out there and try to do the whole session drummer thing kind of mm-hmm. start from scratch and ended up linking up with some other musicians in my local area and we we um kind of toured regionally and we played in new york city a lot actually went up there and did a residency um like lived up there for a little while not long but um recorded a really actually a really cool album went out to california and recorded an album but uh, i was going through some dark stuff in my life at the time like dealing with addiction and stuff like that and Mm. and those and they were uh they were also dealing with their own stuff and so it just it kind of fell apart uh, and then I kind of went a different direction, but, uh, yeah, it's still, still a big part of my life. Like I love playing, love, you know, um, now, like I said, my, my only really tied to it still is, is playing at church cause I'm kind of doing other stuff professionally and I don't sure. really want to be going like playing in bars and stuff. Right. So, right. um, so I enjoy playing on ch- at church, but yeah, that's, that's, uh, kind of my quick little music story there. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, man. And if you don't mind me getting too personal here, uh, asking you a little bit about your battle with addiction was, was, was that kind of hard to separate the two music and like, were they intertwined because of, because of the nature that, you know, music scene can oftentimes have, um, for instance, you know, for sure. 
Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I was just to say, go ahead. <laughs> well, yeah, my uh, one of my one of you know my my best friend. He's a uh, he's a big time drummer. Or I shouldn't say big time drummer. By big time, I mean he does it a lot. He goes and yeah. and plays in bands at at shows and stuff all the time. And uh, he's like the most talented guitar player that was in this area. So you're talking an area of around a half million people or so, maybe, maybe a little bigger than that. Most talented guitar player probably in that area was this real young kid, like 18, 19, when he, you know, got to know him a little bit, did some playing, some shows with him and stuff. He said the, the kid was so unbelievably gifted, but just totally like the hooks of addiction were, wrecking him like he he uh uh, it was it was all getting like thrown away because he was so and i don't know if he ran into that through music i don't know if people who have you almost look historically and people with a ton of musical talent are they almost face like the same kind of demons you know what i mean like like the way they're sure. i don't know if it's the way their personality is the way they they process things and analyze things but they like they it just seems to make them kind of prone to that and then of course it's celebrated by you know, pop culture and everything too it, within that scene. Yeah. You know, you watch a movie and what do they do? They make every every uh, band member in the movie seem like a, a you know drug addict and like that's that's the way it goes or something. Yeah. I don't know. So maybe some self fulfilling prophecy there too. But but uh, I mean, yeah, was that hard to separate those two things when you decided to like get clean and, and that was it hard to be around yeah. music? Well, you said some things in there, so. Definitely, um, self-fulfilling prophecy, like, um, you know, and you, when you say demons, you you know, you might've said that more like metaphorically, but I I believe that demons are actually real. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, definitely as you're saying that I was thinking, um, you know, music is so powerful. Like, mm-hmm. um, it, it really has the ability to move people to their, their soul, even to their spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, God used music from, you know, the early days of the new old Testament, you know? Um, so I think, I think a lot of it, to be honest with you is the enemy. And by the enemy, I mean, the devil like knows how powerful it can be. And probably because of that, um, it's an area of focus for him to attack and to um, just like focus some attack on that because it's such a powerful tool that could be used for good. Um, mm, so good I point. think that's part of it. I don't know if, yeah, I don't know if there's, um, there's something to do with the personalities involved probably too. Um, but yeah, it's become like part of the culture of yeah, uh, like, good way to say I remember it. like, yeah, I mean, it's become part of the culture to the point where, like, I remember it sounds so weird. It's going to sound so crazy, but I remember, like, being young and, like, wanting to get into that and, like, almost, um, almost like thinking, like, being an addict or, like, was cool or something. Like, it's, like, right, literally, like, yeah. this lie that the enemy has been able to cultivate in that culture, um, to where, like, um, 
it makes like now from my perspective it's like these people are losers like they sleep till 3 p.m like they're up you know doing drugs like they're bad people and like those are the people that like kids look up to like no because i saw it firsthand like and i i was becoming that like you're a loser (laughs) but like somehow that's like cool or something so um so i think that's that's a big part of it but for me i mean yeah like i said like um you know a lot of the a lot of the drugs and stuff i did and the partying was tied to the music scene and i got like my first band i was in was like really into the jam band scene and so it was all you know, you know tons of smoking pot and you know drinking and then even you know i to my personality i was always taking things as extreme you know i messed with like psychedelics and all that stuff and um and then you know it was because of a guy i was in a band with that i started really messing with um with opioids and all that stuff so uh, it definitely is like is part of it. I don't know exact, you know, there's multiple reasons why probably, but, um, so now, like I said, like, you know, unless you're professionally doing music as an adult, like really your only options are like being like a little side fun band where you play in bars at night or yep. kind of play at church. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm glad that, you know, there's an option to where you can still play and, and play with other people and, and have fun with it in a, you know, in a good environment that like glorifies God instead of, cause I, I don't want to be hanging out in bars and right. uh, there's nothing wrong with it necessarily. Um, you can do it and I, you know, have friends that do it, but, um, just for me personally, like where I'm in my life, like I'm not going to go gig in some bars for fun. Like I'll go, you know, play in a worship team at church. And so that's how I've been able to separate it. Well, I think it follows, you know, it follows or you're putting your money where your mouth is, right? Earlier you're saying, I think that music is so powerful that the enemy wants to derail that and use it uh, for for negative, to distract yeah. people from, from the gospel, from distract people from honoring God. And yeah. uh, you're recognizing that that's that it's a powerful tool and yeah. you're going to use it. I mean, look at people when they go to uh, rock concerts, they yeah. got their hands up. They're literally worshiping. They're just yeah. not worshiping God. Yep. And so it's so powerful, man. Like people who say like, Oh, I don't even people who say like, I have no faith. I don't believe in anything. They go to those things and they worship, but they're mm-hmm. not worshiping God. And right. the enemy knows that man. Yeah. That's a, that's a great point. And, and uh, yeah, you, you make, you make a very well argued standpoint there on that. Yeah, that's good. Now, if somebody was, um, maybe someone's tuning in right now and they're, maybe they're kind of flirting around with addiction a little bit, like uh, they're just starting Mm -hmm. to feel that rope unravel or uh, maybe, I mean, they're, maybe they're deep in it for a couple of years now. Um, Yeah. How how do you get out, man? Uh, Well, I mean, for, for I mean, it's that's a it's a knowing, tough question. Knowing I mean, that knowing that we could do ten podcasts answering that one question for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, um, you know, obviously, I I don't believe I could have made it out without a relationship with God and cultivating that. But mm. uh, when I was so um, so physically, mentally, spiritually addicted to such a like insidious thing where, you know, you physically get sick if you don't have this and even worse than that, um, depressed and anxious, all this stuff like the withdrawals from opioids are terrible. Um, Mm. 
So I had to, I had to come clean to my family. I've been keeping it all secret. I was had, a, I was married. I had a small kid at the time. Um, I had to, and my life was unraveling. My organs were literally starting to shut down. Um, I blew through every bit of savings I had, uh, and more, um, my wife, you know, was literally about to leave, actually did take my son and, and go to her parents' house for a while. Um, I had to just, I, I went to my dad and I was like, I just told him, I was like, I need help. Mm-hmm. I couldn't do it on my own. Like, so thank God, you know, I had a supportive family and my wife stuck by my side. Uh, my dad helped me, um, talk to somebody and that, you know, I had to go to rehab. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing is like, I feel like a lot of people are holding it in. They think maybe they can do it themselves. And, and, you know, some people at some points you might be able to, but if you're in so deep, um, you know, if you've been holding that on for so long, like you're probably going to need help. And so um, hopefully, yeah. And there's resources out there for people who don't have, you know, you know, you can reach out to me on Instagram. I can, I'll do everything I can to help you. Um, you know, so just reach out for help, you know, ask God for help, of course, but also you might have to ask, you know, a, a person for help too. Yeah. That's, that's huge. Yeah. That, yeah. That's a, that's a great little, uh, nutshell of getting somebody some, yeah. getting somebody pointed in the right direction for sure. And, uh, yeah. I, I mean, by the grace of God, I haven't had to fight that battle. I mean, I think we all have our own little idols in life that we get addicted to. Sure. I mean, we're going to talk hunting here. Hunting can be a huge <laughs> idol that can ruin marriages, yeah. can blow through savings, can can uh, yeah. uh, ruin a whole bunch of relationships and, and cause For total sure. dependence if out of, prior, you know, if mismanaged. And, yeah. uh, uh, you know, so maybe not fighting the same kind of addictions that, that uh you've had to but it certainly applies to other areas of life too and and for sure can rob you of balance and for making the main thing the main thing and Mm -hmm. uh hunter and i brothers in christ we know that the main thing has always got to be a relationship with god so yeah, yeah very very well said there man that's thanks for being willing to share that by the way yeah man of course you know it's just part of my story so yeah now you talked a lot about how um you know, you're doing music as a kid and everything, which by the way, you're, you know, you're talking about band there. And it made me think of this, this complaint I used to have, uh, when I was playing trumpet because I was so terrible and what compounded the problem was my two best friends at the time were in band with me and they both played trumpet. Uh They're twin brothers. So we would start, we would start screwing around, you know what I mean? We're junior high boys. Someone opens the spit valve on the other person's leg, that type of thing. And we'd start laughing. Well, when you're laughing, you cannot play a trumpet, like not possible. (laughs) And when, when three members of that, of that group are knocked out because they're uh, laughing so hard, uh, then you, and we had had an old school school band teachers have to be like the most, Dude, this guy I was mean, at the end like of his the rope. Stress level on those people, like <laughs> a, a room full of kids with instruments. Like mm-hmm. we said, like our band teacher would just flip out oh, like yeah. every day. I can't imagine doing that. Oh yeah, it's so hard, dude. You just described my band teacher perfectly. He was, and he was, and he wanted perfection. So you mix that in yeah. with a very short fuse, 
high high level of annoyance that you just identified the guy the guy was very upset with us but i used to think man those drummers they're so lucky they can play while they're laughing they can be they could you know have something happen and yep. uh they can still they can still get her done but uh no that's that, that's that's a good that's a good little throwback there to a, a time in my life that yeah. i often try to forget but um and no you got into music early on what about hunting were you hunting that early or was that something like yeah, uh, me where you had to decide to do that when you're an adult Oh, it's, yeah, I get first gen hunter. Yeah. Um, no, I was lucky, man. So my dad got me into it. I mean, I don't even know how old I was when he gave me my first BB gun. I mean, probably like four or five. Awesome. And of course I was, you know, being supervised. Yeah. I was being yep. supervised at that age, but then it wasn't long before I was kind of just let loose with the old red rider. And, <clears throat> um, I grew up in Southeast Virginia on like, in like salt marshes. So we'd have oh, these man. little fiddler crabs about this big, like the size of like a <laughs> half dollar. Okay. And I used to hunt these things with a BB gun. So you're talking about hitting a half dollar. Dude, like you 20, were a marksman, man. Dude, I got one. I mean, it's just like any weapon. If you shoot it thousands of times, you just know exactly what it's going to do. <laughs> yeah. Did you, just, did you learn the arc? snipe those things. Did you learn oh, the, yeah, the yeah, arc yeah. on the Red Rider? Totally. Oh, yeah. 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 I, I knew exactly my holdovers just by my heart. Um, so I could, I could snipe like quarter sized little crabs with a BB gun. And then I got my first bow. I remember I had a, I had a string of, cause the fiddler crabs, they have one big claw and one small mm-hmm. one. And the, like, it's kind of like, I would trophy hunt them. They'd be like the big, I would call them bulls even. They'd be like the big ones. Cause that's what they do. Like the Dude, big males awesome. come out and they have a huge claw and they wave it to attract the females. Right. And so I would hunt the ones with the biggest claw and i had a string like jeremiah johnson of his bear claws i had like a necklace of um <laughs> Dude, that crab is claws. Awesome, man yeah but that it smelled awesome. like i mean it smelled like rotten fish so oh, bet, eventually yeah. a raccoon ate it but um <laughs> yeah but then my dad he's, got he's me wandering a bow. around with that I mean, he, necklace on yeah um my dad would you know started me off dove hunting and then duck hunting and then eventually he got me a bow it was actually cool i just took my son first dove hunt yesterday and yeah, uh, it was I'm awesome glad, i'm glad you but, brought um, that up dove hunting in virginia is like that's a big deal out there i mean everyone around here we yeah. like to dove hunt but it's nothing like what goes on in virginia yeah i mean i don't know maybe it's a maybe it's a south or a southeastern thing i don't know i guess it's like it's the first hunt of the year it's pretty relaxed you know the weather's usually nice it's mm-hmm. kind of a social thing but a lot of birds you know, too, I, right? I do. I literally think dove is one of the best tasting. Yeah, in some places. I mean, I've been on some killer dove shoots. Um, you know, yesterday was a little slow. It was more about the, you know, me and my son, and end up we got like four. If I was a really good shot, I probably gotten like six or eight, probably. But I missed a few. But um, yeah, just I love dove meat, and for me, it's nostalgic too because it was the first hunt I ever went on, and um, I got my, my dad gave me my first 870, you know, youth awesome. model pump and took me out there. My first time, I think I was about eight years old. I shot a dove flying full speed with a 20 <laughs> that's gauge awesome, and that's man. pretty good for like an eight that's year old. That's really good. Yeah. yeah that, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I definitely had it in me like from uh, a child and then I got my first bow, um, then got into to deer hunting we got permission on this awesome farm over in the eastern shore of virginia and i was about 14 i think it was i was 14 or i think it was about 14 i killed my first deer with a bow 
I killed a doe first, and a couple weeks later, I killed a little buck. And um, yeah, for me, like I, I love, I still to this day love waterfowl and dove hunting and stuff. But after that first season of of deer hunting, man, I was just hooked on on big game. It was just all about bow hunting. And mm-hmm. It was a bow and rifle or a bow and shotgun only county, so I really dove into the bow hunting and um, and then you know just in the last three years or so getting into Western hunting and, uh, haven't looked back, man. Yeah, that's, and we, we definitely got to talk about that. Cause I know you've had some really cool experiences up in Alaska that I want to ask you about, but man, I'm sensing a theme here. Sounds like you got a pretty cool dad guy who, uh, uh, got, yeah. got you into hunting and I mean, it's who you turned sure. to when you needed, needed some help down the road. Just, uh, mm-hmm. a, a good, uh, good example of what being a dad is all about where, and you know, maybe you can relate to this too, as a father yourself, but I'm excited for how my relationship with my kids is going to change through the years. Right now, my kids are mm-hmm. five, three and nine months. And oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a fun time. You know, it's a busy time. It's hard to Thursdays, Thursdays are my day off. So I work four 10 hour shifts. So Thursdays I can have, you know, that family day and, and that's what gives me a chance to record with you here at midday. But, um, the, it's a, it's a lot of work to, to have those kids, but I love how, you know, it's almost, your kids are almost like your like if you ever have a dog, your dog is always so quick to forgive you. You know what I mean? You like step on your dog's foot and he like yipes and runs away. And you know, if that would, if that was us, we'd be like, dude, get away from me, man. You just, you know, you just hurt me or whatever. But your dog's always, it's okay. You know, like your kids are that way. Now you lose your temper or something and you yell at them or you like blame them for losing something. Then you realize you're the one that lost it. And, and then you're like, Oh, I'm sorry. They're like, Oh, it's okay okay you know like they're still in that like really sweet like uh yeah dad's awesome phase but i i know that's gonna change you know and not that far away especially yeah. for my son because he's five and i'm excited that like your dad must have been looking forward to wow you know when hunter gets older well he even named you hunter so i gotta imagine that uh, that's, yeah. that's part of it he's like it's my gonna, name man yeah i'm gonna get hunter out there i'm gonna get him a bow He's going to be able to go deer hunting with me. I'm not, eventually I'm going to just walk him to a tree and be like, there's your stand. He goes and hunts his stand. Yep. I go hunt my stand. Like I, I really look forward to all that, but at the same time, yeah, yeah that's that, that role, like become you like it's, it's maybe what I just said is kind of symbolic where there's your stand. You go your way. I go my way. And you just kind of almost take that more and more of that spectator role you know but it yeah. sounds like sounds like your dad did a really good job of that especially then as an adult when you felt like you had that trust you had that support there to be like dad need your help again i mean i don't know do you have those thoughts ever like are you nervous yeah. about no i mean seeing your kids through those those years yeah i mean well first of all i think with your son you might you got a couple more years because I think five was like when I hit like the golden age of like he's seven now and I think five between like five and seven like he worships me I don't that sounds bad but like he loves like <laughs> no I he know would do mean. anything yeah if I was like hey buddy let's go out and like shovel some dog poop and you know <laughs> do some he'd be like yeah let's do it 
like he he just at that age where he just adores me and so i'm just eating up every you know every bit of it that i can uh you know hopefully it doesn't wear off and i'm trying to ingrain in him like we're best friends forever right like even when you get big and trying to ingrain that and he's like yo yeah definitely and so but i'm just trying to eat it up but um yeah my dad did a great job of it i mean he you know like i said he's more a bird hunter he doesn't really even like he grew up deer hunting but he doesn't really like deer hunting anymore like Mm. When he hunted, it was all public land, and like it was back in the seventies. Like they, I think he probably saw like three deer in his entire sure, like, deer yeah. career. Um, so when it got to be, you know, my age, he did. He got me a bow, and he would. That's exactly what he would do. He would drive me out there, walk me to the stand, drop me off, and then go. He would sometimes he'd even bring a card table out there and be because he was starting a business at the time too, and be working and making calls and stuff. <laughs> and uh, wow, what a good super dad. cool like that he would. Yeah, like he would take me out there and um, until I was old enough to drive, and then, um, you know, I, he let me go. And um, I, it's kind of, I don't think it really necessarily relates to anything, but I just remember one time I just, it was my first season of hunting by myself. And, you know, when you're young and it's pitch black and you get to walk into the woods alone, oh, it yeah. can be kind of creepy when yeah. you're first starting out. And it was this one morning where the wind was howling and it was all the, the, the trees were like making this weird creaking noise. It was just kind of creepy. And I just called him. I was like, dad, can you just talk to me while I walk in? He's like, yeah, sure, bud. And like, he sat on the <laughs> phone with me just, and just knowing that he was on the phone with yeah. me, like I wasn't as scared. Um, and so, yeah, he, he was great at getting me in and, um, and everything. So, you know, I hope, I hope my son, you know, loves hunting, um, so far, like yesterday he was eating it up. He was sitting there. <laughs> I mean, we only shot like four dove in like about three or four hours. So, I mean, a lot of kids would have gotten super bored. He was just sitting there like playing with the dove, like, <laughs> like making little voices <laughs> with them and stuff. And like, That's awesome. I was just like, whatever, man, just, I was like, you know, we need to respect it. Cause it's, you know, it's one of God's creatures and it gave us life, you know, for us. So we don't want to like do anything too weird, but you can, I mean, if yeah, he wants to look at, look at its beak and look at its feet and you know play yep. with it, I'm cool with it. So he so sat there and played lesson. with them and had a yeah had a great time. The last one I shot, he ran out and got and retrieved it and that's so, awesome. Um, you know, I don't know if he'll be as into it as as I am or or what, but that's okay. You know, yeah, um, yeah. yeah and, and I mean, I think God creates us to have you know different interests and and different levels yeah. of passion you know i i'm so i'm so uh i don't know passionate about hunting i guess is just the way to say it that i think it would be hard for any of my kids to to like the the chance of them loving it as much as me just seems like it would have to be slim because i just feel so wired that way even from you know i didn't yeah. get i didn't the first time i went hunting was when I was 26 years old, you know, it's like, it's, it's so far removed from when I was a little kid yet. That's all I could think about when I was a little kid. It just took me 26 years to get a chance to go, you know? And that's like, (laughs) I mean, you gotta be pretty stinking obsessed with something to, to have that on your mind for that long, you know? And so I'd say that the chance of any of my kids really being that eaten up with it, is probably pretty low, but that's okay. You know, my, yeah. they, they have whatever they love. I just hope that, and I think you even maybe said it, that maybe it was you or maybe it was uh, in the Johnny Mac episode you did. Might've been him who said it, but uh, you were like, yeah, they like it. They like going with me, but you know what? 
I just want them to be able to appreciate hunting and know that this is a good place to get your food. There's not a better place to get your food and, yeah. and, you know, have that connection with it and respect hunting. Yeah. And I think that, I think that that's a worthy goal. I think when yeah. we get so caught up and be like, Oh, I love this. So you're going to love this. And yeah, and it, that's when and at the end of the it. day, like it's, it's supposed to be fun, right? Like you don't want to pressure your kids too much. Right. Like I was having this, I actually was thinking about this this morning. I was reading a Bible verse and it was it was the one where Paul's talking about like you know suffering leads to endurance, which leads to mm. you know yep. can't remember what exactly how it goes, but it leads to hope and stuff. And I remember times in my past where I'd like related that to like hunting, and I'm like, what is that? This dude's talking about like the early church suffering, like <laughs> yeah, getting killed for being yeah. Christians. Like I'm relating this to hunting. Like no, hunting is not suffering. Like I'm doing this voluntarily because yep. I love it. And like. And it's, it's a little bit for me because, like, I'm trying to, you know, create content and stuff at the same time. But, like, I was like – because I got this antelope coming up, hunt coming up where it's a it's a low – it's an easy draw tag. You know, I'm expecting um, challenging conditions, limited public, other hunters. And I was like, I'm not – like – like, I'm going to go out there and have fun. Like stop right. worrying about it. Like, um, even like the word, like I've been saying like, Oh, it's a high pressure hunt in terms of like other hunters. I'm changing my vocabulary. I'm not calling it pressure anymore. I'm saying there's going to be lots of other friends out there hunting with yeah, me yep. because they're just other hunters. They're not against you. They're not shooting back at you. They're not trying to kill you or something like it's not pressure. It's other dudes hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's literally something that I was thinking about today. Like I just need to chill out, like realize, yeah, it's a, it's a um, easy draw unit with limited public, but there's still, I was doing the math earlier. There's like 250 square miles of public ground in this unit. Not, maybe not all of it's accessible, but like I get to go out for a week and just explore Wyoming and look for animals. Like, yeah. Do not make that not cool. Right. Um, and then going back to the food thing. Yeah. I mean, uh, when I shot my first antelope, like I FaceTimed home and the first thing my son says is, I wonder what antelope meat tastes like. There you and then go. Taking them out yesterday and shooting those dove. And then he's asking me about the dove meat. And then he ate, he ate two dove for dinner and just, Fantastic. just to show him like, and he's, that he's not, you know, he's cool with it. He, he sat there, he helped me clean the dove. Um, and just, yeah, just appreciating the the land, the public land we have, you know, even private, um, the wildlife resources, you know, weaving in, teaching them about God while we're out there. And, um, and yeah, that like you can go out and, and get your own food and it's just, uh, it's, it's cool. And it, it, there's no better feeling than be able to feed your, feed your kids. Like my kids mm-hmm. have been eating almost nothing but deer meat since like they were born. And like, it's That's just, awesome. it's just cool. Like. <laughs> yeah. yeah like my my little three-year-old girl is probably eating 10 times more deer meat than like the average like person in america that lives their whole life yeah um but right. anyway it, it's just great yeah i love it well it's good to see your son's already making that connection you know i i think the biggest problem is when people have no idea the, the thought never crosses their mind where did this meal come from and when when yeah. when you live in the dark like that on something so i mean we are what we eat right and if you're in the dark on that fact man you're you're basically undercutting the whole foundation of your physical health yeah. i mean it's which then of it's course we the know hypocrisy if, of people who are like bashing hunting 
and then they go to the store and buy beef or chicken. It's like, dude, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The meat industry is ten times more inhumane than hunting will ever be. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Confinement raised meat, and and uh, just. I mean, even from another standpoint, it's like, oh, so you must be okay with uh, the concept of hitmen, right? You know, somebody who does the dirty work for whoever else, right? Uh, Yeah. You know, somebody who takes care of all the killing, right, for you. And I mean, obviously a totally different problem, but, you know, kind of the same idea. It's just you you want somebody else to do the killing for you. But it's, yeah, there's... There's uh, no doubt about it that I think all of our kids are going to, they're going to grow up having a good understanding of that connection to food and, and so forth. But you spent some time in Alaska, man. That's, uh, yeah. that's, let me, let me say it this way. Alaska is like a pinnacle for, I mean, there's other things you could do. Like, I there's I'm not going to you know nothing against I've had this conversation on this podcast before I'm not against African hunting uh, a year a year and a half ago I was very uneasy with it until I had a guy come on the podcast who's done it and explained to me yeah. how the process works and um I feel much better about it in most cases I think there's still just as there are here in North America there's examples of it that I, I don't support, you know, where, uh, you know, it's something where people are essentially just buying an animal and, and, you know, not much different than having it chained to a pole and shooting it basically, you know, th- that kind of thing. I'm not, I, I, I don't care for, I think probably hurts hunting for the rest of us, but some people would probably say, hunting in Africa doing, you know, like a tour and shooting the big, Af- the African big five or something like that. We can't even shoot some of those anymore without some really privileged tags there. Um, but you know, some people probably say that's the pinnacle, but I really think that Alaska is, I mean, you got moose, you got, you know, the Alaskan brown bear caribou, um, everything up there is just, I mean, you can go over to Fognac Island and hunt, Roosevelt elk that are just these enormous bodied animals. I mean, bison. Yeah, bison. Yep, yep. You can like it is goats, doll sheep. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Doll sheep, a sheep hunt. There, there it is, right there. That's the that's the premier hunt for a North American hunter. And yep. do you almost like now that you've been there a few times? Was it almost like a a sad thing in a way where it's like, shoot, I just. I mean, I did it. I went to Alaska, you know, like I, I saw the, no. I found the end of the rainbow or do you feel like, no, do you feel because like that rainbow is so big? You'll never find the end of it. Okay? I, like I mean, that. well, I like that. That's okay. Good. It's just like anything else. It's yeah. It's like, it's not a rainbow. It's like the Mario Kart rainbow level. It's like, like this is a <laughs> rainbow that will just go on forever. Yep. Like, no, I mean, seriously, though, I mean, it. I could see where you, so if it was like, well, first of all, going back a little bit, I, I'm with you. I don't have anything against African hunting either. I am personally not at this point very interested in it 
just same, because yeah. there's so much stuff I haven't done yet in North America mm-hmm. that I want to do and so much opportunity. Nothing against it, but um, and I can see where if you know, and a lot of people are in this boat where Alaska is kind of a bucket list thing. It's like maybe they can go up there one time in their life and that's it. And if that was the case, yeah, I could see that being sad. But it's so cool that like like it changed my life. Like after I went there, I was like, um, I'm coming back here as often <laughs> as I can. Like I like I cannot afford to not come back here. Like I'm gonna figure out how to make this work. Um, whether it's once a year or whether it's every other year. It, I like um so and it's not like once you like you just said like there's so much opportunity up there it's not like you go once and you kind of do the thing and okay you're done like you could hunt your entire life and still not hit everything in alaska i mean you Mm. could hit it's there's so much up there um even just like geography wise like it's not like here where you kind of go even in some of the bigger you know wilder areas like you're probably, if you walk far and hard enough, eventually going to find a road or a town or something. Like, there are places up there where you can just walk until you die, and you'll net like there are animals that will live and die their entire lives, never see a human. Like, mm. um, it's so vast. Yeah, I like that. And, uh, I like that description. So, yeah, like just the thought of like th- being out there, just the thought of like there's some huge like snow white unicorn looking doll sheep somewhere <laughs> that are like is giant and will just die of old age and never see a human yeah is like such a cool thought to me um but uh yeah dude the first like i said the first it was kind of weird because like you said most people it's kind of like this goal like way off in the f- distance and you know it's like oh you know one day when i'm experienced i'll go up there but don't wait man like stuff is getting closed more mm. and more like go so I was in a unique situation that my first ever Western hunt was in Alaska, DIY, completely <laughs> That's DIY. Wild, man. In. Way to just jump yeah, right into it. <laughs> That's awesome, yeah. man. This is completely DIY walk-in caribou hunt. Um, and we didn't even kill anything. We had a couple. We had I had two separate animals in my crosshairs easily in range that we – I mean one was literally 30 like feet from me. Hmm. Um but they non-residents cannot kill cows, and they were small bulls that we weren't a hundred percent sure were not cows. Um, so we chose not to shoot. Good for you. Um, I'm yeah, sure looking sure. back, I kind of wish I had on one of them because, in retrospect, if I had done a little more of my homework, I could have probably sexed it um, correctly. But anyway, um, if you're not sure, you shouldn't shoot. So we right. did, um, and. Uh, but it didn't matter. It changed my life. Like so amazing. So, um, and then I went to Kodiak, I think it was the next year this year, uh, not getting the chance to get up there, but I got four other killer hunts lined up and then I'm going, I already have plans to go, uh, probably late August or early September next year back. That's awesome. So yeah, is that kind of hard to, to sell to the family going to Alaska just because, I mean, obviously time, money, those are for you and me right yeah. now in our boats with having young families, that time, even more than the money is, is just so expensive, I guess, for lack yeah. of a better term. Yeah, you know? it's, 
but yeah, also the uh, fear of dad's going to Alaska where there's brown bears, you know, that are bigger than our car, <laughs> you know, that it's, it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, is it, is it a tough sell to the wife and, and I don't know, your kids probably don't care too much, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, it's never easy, like traveling, you know, my wife doesn't love it. Um, it's funny though, like the first one <clears throat> wasn't that tough of a sell because it was just like one trip kind of thing. And then the next year it was like, I was going on like a bunch of trips, but actually the, the next one, she actually worked behind my back with my friend and, and booked me this, this Kodiak trip, like Whoa. without me even knowing it, told me about it for Chris. Man. Yeah. Told me about it on Christmas morning. What a yeah. Gift. I was like, it was the second year and I was like, I was like, I really want to go back to Alaska. And I didn't even ask. Cause I knew like, there's no yeah. way she let me go back a second year in a row. <clears throat> and then like it towards the like middle of the, or like the beginning of the summer, I was like, yeah, maybe I just like ask, like can't hurt to ask. Right. <laughs> and then I was like, what do you think if I, you know, and she was like, no, no. So I was like, Absolutely okay, fine. It's not. no big deal. I went last year. It's okay. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, at Christmas morning, she freaking surprises me with this trip to Kodiak. So did you cry? Um, but so did, did you nah, cry? I wanted to, but, <laughs> <laughs> you nah. don't strike me. You don't strike um, me as a crier. That's why I, I would have cried ask. if I wasn't going, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but, um, but now, you know, it's still hard. It's still not, not easy, but I, I basically, I'm, pursuing this as a career now mm-hmm. um without going into a whole lot of detail but now it's like it's still like i said it's still not easy but um it's it's i'm trying to build this as like my way of life so it's a little a little easier it's still not easy it's still tough but um i'm trying to make this into like like i said like a career so um it's a little different of a conversation no uh, than just kind of hey can i go right yeah this is it's work i mean if if you're gonna if you're gonna work in hunting content as a job you got to have content to write about you know you can only you can only post so many trail camera pictures and hey listening to my new uh episode you know, where I interviewed this person and, and if, if you want to like reward your audience with good quality content, you got to be out there experiencing it. Mm-hmm. And, yep. and so, no, that's, I, I totally, totally understand what you're saying there for sure. Well, Hey man, we got to wrap this one up here pretty quick. Cause I know you got to bounce, but, um, yeah, you two, pick the kids up from school actually. Oh yeah. There you go. Don't be late for that. Um, yeah. Uh, two, two things that I wanted to cover here and we've, this has been sprinkled all in throughout this, but, um, certainly, uh, a man of faith and, uh, that, that guides what you do. That's pretty quick to gather that you do a good job of, I mean, you just express that right away. As soon as, as soon as somebody enters into a conversation with you, it seems within the first couple of minutes, it comes up. And, uh, even on your uh, podcast, a lot of times, um, when you're doing the little, uh, intro before the episode starts, you give a Bible verse that you feel describes the person. I think that's very cool. Um, 
Uh, and then the thing that I liked the, the most is you just flat out before the episode, at this point in, in one of your podcasts, you say, Hey, uh, how, how are you as a spiritual person? Like, what do you consider yourself, you know, to, to who, you know, who do you worship essentially, or do you think there's anything to mm-hmm. it or, and, uh, you get some mixed answers there. Um, and that's got to be tough to know what the next step then is as the podcast host and somebody who knows what truth is, somebody who who has seen the very real effects of following God in their mm-hmm. own life. I mean, <clears throat> there's 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 just like you can try all these other Band-Aid fixes, but nothing addresses that deepest need like having that relationship with God, you know, not, it, it's like a, it's like, it's like if you have a hole in your inflatable uh, air mattress and uh, you keep mm-hmm. putting a piece of bubble gum over top of it, you know, it's, it's not yeah. the, the hole is not going away. You know, you got to get out the, right. the high dollar uh, <laughs> sealant kit and put the actual mm-hmm. solution down on there. And, um, uh, how do you handle that when people like give you an answer that's and, and how should we handle that as as yeah. fellow believers when we when, first of all i think the, yeah. the step is just bringing it up but then how do you how do you address that yeah i mean i don't like have a great answer for you as far as like here's what you do or here's what you say um i think that I've had a lot of spiritual conversations with people and even trained myself in having spiritual conversations with strangers on the street mm. uh, for the purpose of being ready to, you know, it says be ready in season and out um, yep. in the Bible and, um, you know, be ready to give a um, a reason for the hope that's within you. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if you can't like say your testimony, uh, in a quick or like how God has, um, affected you. Like you never want to project on other people, but you can say, Hey, this is my experience. This is how God changed my life. Mm, and I, I like know that. it's true. Cause it's me. Yep. Um, so you need to be ready to kind of like be ready to have your little elevator elevator pitch ready to go at all times just to mm-hmm. be ready. But then, I mean, just, it comes with practice. I've had a lot of really awkward conversations with people, um, before, you know, and but I've had the practice. Not only comes with just time and experience and doing it um, to be kind of diplomatic about it. When because um, I have had some guests, ones that you haven't even heard probably that um, when I ask them, they're just like, "I'm like, so do you have any kind of faith?" And they're just like, "Nope." And it's like crickets. And you're like, <laughs> <laughs> um, so you gotta, you, you do gotta yeah, like, um, kind of, you know, yeah, you do kind of like gotta um, just practice being diplomatic. And you know, I think. I think the Holy Spirit will give you, you know, the words sometimes when you need them, um, if you're sensitive to that. And then, but as a general rule, you know, just um, expressing the truth in love, right? Mm-hmm. So um, never trying to pit yourself against them, never trying to seem like you're selling or trying to debunk them, um, but say, this is my truth. This is what's done for me. Um, I hope this for you. And then also like, um, <coughs> like word, like words of prophecy. We, a lot of times we hear prophecy. We think like, 
oh, here's the winning lottery numbers coming up. No, prophecy is not like telling the future. Prophecy is um, is seeing someone as God sees them, seeing what they could be and, and drawing the good out of them. Like you might say, hey, to this person, you don't necessarily say like you are – like this person may not be living a, a, a right life right then. And sometimes people need to hear the hard truth, but also sometimes they need to hear they, the good that's they in need to, them that yeah. needs to be drawn out. They need to have that seed so, planted. Yeah. So that's, that's it. Mainly it just comes down to expressing the truth in love and, um, and not trying to be combative or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So I like that. Yeah. And I, I, do have to kind of run soon, so I'm not late picking my kids up. I'd be in big trouble if I did that. But no, I um, get that. But yeah, man, it's been great talking to you, though. Yeah, for sure. So uh, appreciate everything that Hunter does, and like I said, appreciate his perspective on a lot of things, and and uh, even just the willingness to engage people in those conversations. That's the st- starting point. Is just getting people thinking about it, and and uh, the reason for doing Absolutely. so is to help improve their lives, to to make make uh, their situation, hopefully lead them into a better situation. Uh, how do people yeah. uh, find you, Hunter? Oh, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me again. Sorry, I got to dip no, out no early problem. here. Or, uh, I got I got to go tear um, carpet but, uh, out. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thanks. Well, yeah. Like when you're not in this thing, when you're traveling a lot, when you're not hunting, you got to be like Mr. Mom, like you know, the best dad you can be to take advantage of the time. But yeah, just um, the Hunter's Quest podcast, and again. You know, I've been trying to reiterate it's the Hunter's Quest podcast because it's not my quest. It's all of us as hunters. Right. It's about our right. quest. I hope people get that. They don't think I'm just calling it my quest. But um, so, yeah, I got the, the podcast on the podcast platforms. And then um, on YouTube, you can search my name, Hunter McWaters, or I think you can search The Hunter's Quest too on YouTube. Um, you know, Instagram, The Hunter's Quest, TheHunter'sQuest.com. And, you know, trying to, um, you know, I'm going to be, I got a lot of cool trips this year. I'm going to be filming all of them. Um, so awesome. one way or the other, those films are going to be coming out. I'm still waiting to hear back from some potential opportunities, but I don't want to get into that right now. But uh, just be on the lookout for more big stuff coming down the line. Love it. Well, thanks so much, Hunter, for joining us. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Don't forget about our presenting sponsor, Spartan Forge. Just interviewed Bill last night. There's some super exciting stuff coming up down the road. You're not going to want to be on the outside looking in. Make sure you get subscribed to that app. Also, don't forget about our favorite Western hunt planner, Alex Gruen. Go over to alexgruen.com. Get signed up with his service through East to West Hunts, and he will get you geared up, tagged up, and ready to go tag out. So get over there, alexgruen.com. Use that promo code FIRSTGEN10. Save yourself 10%. Don't forget about Hunter, the Hunter's Quest. Look up that podcast. It'll get you through a day of work just like it does for me. And uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's a lot of thought-provoking stuff. But I shouldn't say that because I love my job. I'm, I'm living the dream, Hunter. Man, I got I got a dream job right now. Yeah, man. It's, it, it's awesome. But Great. No, Hunter's got to run. Thanks again for everyone for tuning in. Till next time, take care. Take someone hunting.